Hello. Hey. This is Ergo. This is indeed. I'm Kiss. I'm Damon. And what we do here on this here program is showcase the folks reshaping the culture of Chicago for the more equitable and creative. That's what we're doing today. Yeah, very excited. So over the past few months, we've been partnering with Black Youth Project, or BYP for short, to do a monthly spotlight series with different thinkers, activists, organizers, artists, young Black people who fit the format of of their space and their publications as Black Youth Project is an online journalism hub for different issues and topics and cultural concerns of Black youth nationally and globally. Um, And today we we had a great conversation right in that vein. Um, Former national co-director of BYP 100. Hold on. They were the co-chair of a website? See, this is why we're here. I'm confused. We're going to clarify this. There has been (laughs) confusion over the years, understandably so. Uh, So Out of Black Youth Project, which is an ongoing research series that's been existing almost about 20 years. Go back and let's start Kathy Cohen episode. Uh, There was a symposium from which emerged one of the most phenomenal black liberation organizations in the country. Uh, A significant part of the movement for black lives and organizing a lot of the direct action and policy campaigns of the last five years. Um, in this like shifting transitional moment. And we had Janae Bonsu, who's been the co-chair of the Chicago chapter, the national policy director, and also served as the national co-director for BYP 100. She's transitioned out of that role. So we were able to talk a little bit more deeper about her humanity, about healing and spiritual work, as well as some of the scholarship that has emerged from her work on the ground. It's a really great conversation, I think, for any young person, particularly young black person, interested in liberation work and like how to take care of yourself, how to be grounded in some of the like burden and responsibility that that comes with this, whether it's political or otherwise. And also how to understand intimate violence and interpersonal violence in relationship to structural violence and gender-based violence as a whole. So it's a really great conversation. We won't keep you from it. Uh, As always, you can check out all of our episodes at Ergo Radio on everything, our SoundCloud, Ergo on all the podcast apps, You can also hear all of your BYP Spotlight episodes on blackyouthproject.org. They have a special BYP playlist that contains all of these BYP Spotlight episodes. As well as some of our old episodes that kind of fit in the theme. So without further ado, let's get to our conversation with Janae Bonsu. That rhymed. I think you should uh, take this intro. Take this it. one, I'm, 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 I think, falls in your yes. hands. We are here with someone I truly admire and respect, and I'm excited to have. that. Like, for folks who've listened deeply, we've had this mythological list of, like, <laughs> oh, who are the types of people that we want to have on, and, like, we struggle planning. And pretty much the whole time, I knew that this person would be somebody who I would love uh, to be on this platform and really um, exemplifies, I think, if we call ourselves movement media, a part of how I learned or how I was shaped in hmm. movement space. Uh, we have organizer and intellectual academic. We got Janae Bonsu in the building. Bra, bra, bra. <laughs> oh, what an intro. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here. And I just know you as Bonsu. So. Mm-hmm. But that's because there was a lot of Janae, Janae's, yeah. Je- Je- Genie's, Jenny's mm. around. And nobody did the like, like Janae B. No, because Bonsu yeah. is so, is so powerful. Yeah, yeah, I actually advocated for folks to just call me Bonsu. I'm yeah. just like, mm. you know, first off, I'm I love my down. name. Yeah, yeah, hold that And down. you're not going to mess up my, you're not going to keep messing <laughs> so, up my so, first So we got Bonsu so. in the building. <laughs> you also did the impossible. You created your own nickname. 
I mean, I know it's your last name, but to be I'm called like, but it's already your name. <laughs> <laughs> but to have that be uh, that is one of one of the great feats that an individual can pull off is to decide the nickname that they want and then right. have it catch on in a and way. And I want to push back against that because self naming is important. Mm-hmm. But let but let's get into let's 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 slow the right, we'll come back to it. We come back. <laughs> so nicknaming. <laughs> but we have a tradition here, a two part question that we like to ground our conversation in, and that question is: in this time and define time however you want, this day, this hour, this week, this season, this lifetime, how is the world treating you, and how are you treating the world? Yeah, I would say that the world is treating me like an older relative who I know loves me, <laughs> but is showing it in the toughest ways. <laughs> for real. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, every step of the way, I feel like I'm, I'm learning new, valuable, important lessons. So mm-hmm. I'm like, you know, grateful. <laughs> um, the world is your third favorite aunt? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, So in turn, you know, I'm treating the world with a lot of gratitude, um, you know, appreciation. I'm practicing a a lot of openness and receptivity um, and really embracing transition and change, transformation. Uh, But yeah, the the world's (laughs) treating me with a a lot of tough love. Um, And I think that is, so I don't know how into astrology Mm. y'all are. I respect it. We I don't know it. I'm not in it, I would say. We will go as far into it as you would like to go. <laughs> I don't I'm know willing to be played. led. Yes. <laughs> okay, okay. I mean, well, so I... We're more into active listening than we are into astrology. <laughs> Got you. Okay, well, I'm, I'm on the spectrum of like, uh, I don't know, I'm kind of like in the in the middle of the road between like hardcore astrologist and like, that's just some made up stuff. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so in the world of astrology, uh, there's something called Saturn's return. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And... Basically, Saturn return is the time where the planet Saturn returns to where it was when you were born. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like a, a slow process that happens over the course of uh, about 29 mm-hmm. right. and a half years. Um, and the effects of it is felt into your like early 30s. And so each planet kind of rules us a certain set of elements so to speak so saturn is uh representative of like responsibilities discipline fear like you know just all all the things that kind of makes you an adult for real yeah i was about to say Um, saturn is the grown shit yeah (laughs) yeah yeah. Yeah. and so like saturn's return is like a time where you really have to face the reality of the choices you've made and or or are going to make, um, and really shed what doesn't serve you and what is misaligned and aligned with your destiny for real. Um, so Saturn's return can feel like a time of crisis, like quarter life crisis <laughs> yeah. type thing. Um, it's a time where like yeah, major life decisions are made. Yeah. And they say like, a lot of people who get married in their early 20s. Yes, and a lot of people get divorced. Don't, don't make it through their Saturn <laughs> During return. the Saturn's return, mm. yeah. Because they put a Saturn ring on it. <laughs> Not funny, but accurate. <laughs> so, yeah, Saturn's return is like when when you really, like, got to get on your, your grown shit. And, yeah. and, you know, it's 
is this what I'm supposed to be doing, like career wise? How's that going? Love and yeah. all that shit. You feeling grown? And so I'm, I'm feeling, I'm feeling kind of grown. Um, mm. I feel like I'm in the beginning of my Saturn's return. Mm. Like I said, it's, it's like late 20s until your early 30s. I'm currently 28. I'll mm. be 29 in February. Shout mm-hmm. out to Pisces, gang, gang. Mm-hmm. If this past year is any indication of whether astrology is real, I would mm-hmm. say yes. Mm. Um, <laughs> Because Saturn's return is is coming for me. I feel like it's uh it's among, it's in the mist. Yeah. What's it life. What's it bringing with it for you? What are you finding? What are these transitions? What What feels new? So, really, I'm in a in a place of major transition around my work, and I mean that in uh, a couple different ways. Uh, so, just kind of background. Mm-hmm. I am not from Chicago. I'm a transplant. Mm-hmm. I um, moved to Chicago back in 2013. I came here for a master's program in social work at the University of Chicago. I'm mm. um, kind of like in search of what my role in social change looks mm-hmm. like. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was kind of during this time, like right after my first quarter of um, of school at University of Chicago that I found BYP 100, uh, which is my first political home. And yeah, BYP 100 is a really dope organization of young black freedom fighters. So like I'm kind of on this parallel journey of like figuring out what my role is in social change, trying to find my niche like as a scholar and also Mm -hmm. like really um, learning what it means to be an organizer and like organizing as a as an answer to the question of like, how how do I create the world that I want to see? and so, you know, over the course of coming up through BYP 100 in terms of like my leadership development, um, my politicization, um, all of that, I've, I've held different, you know, leadership roles um, in the organization at a chapter level. Um, and so a year ago, I said yes to the opportunity of a lifetime um, to really steer and shape organization that helped to steer and shape me Mm. that was in the role of uh, national co-director and you know when offered the opportunity i was for those don't know know, there are eight chapters around the country now nine Nine now now. nine now you've been out the loop chapter in atlanta (laughs) all right true 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 so yeah national organization so huge responsibility huge responsibility yeah so I'm, i'm i'm elated because you know this is this is an organization I have a very deep love and commitment for um, and like really excited to step into that role. But also, yes, very anxious and <laughs> nervous about the, the large responsibility that I knew that um, it bore, uh, especially because at the time that I uh, you know, was coming into the role, I was also a Ph.D. student. Mm-hmm. Um, after I finished at the University of Chicago, I went straight into a Ph.D. program at UIC, um, also in social work. I am... Now a PhD candidate, um, working on a dissertation at the inter- intersections of gender violence and state violence, and I can talk more about that in a second. But you know, doing something that I've never done before in terms of uh, you know managing an organization yeah. in the midst of you know uh, being in a PhD program, I, I knew was you know going to be difficult. <laughs> uh, well, but- the good news is there's like five of you. Just as an end of it, you can just split into five parts to do different things. Yeah, apparently that's what I thought. Um, Because I'm like, but it'll be fine. Like, Mm -hmm. I could totally do it. Mm -hmm. You know, I'll, 
I'll do it some way. I'll make it work. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so over over the course of the year, it became you know increasingly apparent that this was a little too difficult yeah. for me to handle um, or just not sustainable. Yeah. I think that, um, not I think, I know that I was burning the candle on both ends um, and my mental, physical, kind of emotional health uh, was not where it should be. And it was, yeah, I knew that if I wanted to consistently show up to my work in the context of BYP 100 in, you know, with my full self and with my full dignity and also, uh, you know, treat my academic work with the same rigor and discipline, et cetera, I had to make a decision yeah. in order for one not to be mm-hmm. at the expense of mm-hmm. the other, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. I'm, I'm really interested in that idea of being intentional about showing up as your full self yeah. and with your full dignity. And I, I kind of want to go deeper because I think that is the most important for those of us who commit our energy or our time to ideas of like liberation, mm-hmm. right? Like in order for us to be together, we have to be able to be and stay together. Mm-hmm. And if we are showing up unhealthy, right, like that will bring toxicity uh, Precisely. Uh, eventually, right? Like even yeah. if it's not on the day of, you might then receive something that you take that you should have maybe stood up for yourself or you might be too short or impatient or tired or whatever. Um, but I think more than like even figuring out the policy down to the right letter of the word, like we have mm-hmm. to figure out how to be our best human selves in how we build our spaces to yeah. make a new world. Um, and so, yeah, just like that language that you use, what, how did you get to that lesson? How do you evaluate that? Mm-hmm. And where do you feel like you are with that day-to-day, like in this season? Yeah. So last year, I went through this leadership development program called BOLD. Ah, shout out, um, to, shout out to few, BOLD. Shout out to BOLD. Black Organizing for Leadership and Dignity. And mm. it's a really, really dope program. And um, in the course of the, the program, you develop a, a, a commitment or set of commitments. Um, and a you know, commitment just to define is like a, a, a galvanizing declaration mm-hmm. um, that you strive to embody um, you know, for, the, for the sake of yourself and in, in, in liberation beyond yourself. And um, one of the commitments that I developed in bold was that I am a commitment to rigorous honesty with <laughs> myself mm. and others mm. about what I can and can't do with my full dignity. Mm. And Whew. yeah, there um, it is. <laughs> <laughs> and so the the reason why the language is I am a commitment to rather than I am committed to is because mm. the latter is kind of passive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and like you want to embody your commitment. Like you mm-hmm. have to be your mm-hmm. commitment, right? Mm-hmm. You have to, um, they talk a lot about your body is like the wisest thing. It's a computer. <laughs> that <laughs> you have, have access to. It's like, you know, it has the answers. Your body yeah, has the answers yeah. before your brain does. Yeah. Um, hmm. And so, so yeah, just thinking about that, um, how I embody rigorous honesty with myself and others, I centered my evaluations of, you know, what I can and can't hold within and outside of, of, of BYP 100, within and outside of my dissertation process. Um, you know, how can I stay in alignment with, you know, what I see as my 
contribution to the black radical tradition and mm-hmm. like the liberation of 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 my folks and yeah i i, I just had to um really really assess in in my body and yeah. my soul mm-hmm, mm-hmm. of um of yeah what that looked like and, and what i needed to shed and what i needed to negotiate or renegotiate mm-hmm. um and so yeah on a day-to-day i would say that additionally over the past year i've become uh kind of I've had like a spiritual revival of sorts Ooh, mm-hmm. in that um, I am much more in tune with just all, all things spiritual. So like tapping into ancestral guidance, yeah. for example, mm-hmm. um, and really using like divination as a as a, an additional tool to kind of mull over the just like day-to-day decisions I make mm-hmm. and big life decisions I make. Um, so like a lot of meditation, a lot of um, sitting at my ancestor altar and just like checking in with my yeah. with my body. Like when yeah. I do things, do I feel fulfilled in like both the kind of emotional and physical sense of the word? Just mm-hmm. like really tapping into just different mechanisms of of assessing that commitment. Um, so yeah. in that in that assessment that you're talking about, that's physical and it's somatic, and I, I think it's a really important point, especially for people who are like very head driven. Mm-hmm. And I know like both of us Me? have talked about that, and I'm, I'm guessing just off the what is it, 16 minutes we've been talking. Yeah, you're like a like an idea person in the, in that way. So like, what has been the process of learning how to assess or be guided by other parts of you, and not just be like your brain trying to make sense? of the other parts of your body. Does that make any sense? Because I know when I try to like ground myself in my body, what it ends up often being, with a few exceptions, is still my brain trying to like explain my body mm. as opposed to trusting another part of me or a decision-making process or a, a feeling from something else. So are you able to not separate them, but like let let those other energies guide the way? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's something that is hard for me to do and you know still is but journaling helps me a lot in that like mm. oftentimes i you know just kind of let do like stream of consciousness type of journaling where like whatever comes to my mind i just let it let it go to kind of get all the extra just like analytical yeah. super heavy shit out of the way yeah. <laughs> right just like go ahead and express it you know it's kind of like a a, a precursor or, or preface to my meditation um mm-hmm. because it it kind of allows just like frees up some space yeah. in my mind um <laughs> because i'm so like, like right, all, let me let me let me get these theories just out of here so yeah. i can breathe a little mm-hmm. bit yeah, yeah i've kind of let all that shit go on the page and you know have the open space to really yeah check in hmm. um physically and yeah yeah that that's that's really the the biggest thing and even when I am meditating or I'm sitting at my ancestor altar I sometimes am like is this just me thinking myself or or is (laughs) or or or, 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 like yeah is what I'm feeling like what I need to be trusting like there's there's no like hard and fast black and white like Mm -hmm this is it and this ain't it but it's just kind of like a you know a muscle that you build um and just like trusting your your intuition trusting my intuition has been one of the one of the things that i am in daily practice Hmm. um doing practicing trusting my intuition patience with myself and also this 
So I'm a I'm a perfectionist or a recovering perfectionist, <laughs> and um, <laughs> and I, I have a a great oh, fear of failure. Perfectionist anonymous is it? <laughs> yeah, great yeah, a great fear of failure, <laughs> and so just like practicing the grace with myself that like even if this decision or whatever is not the answer or if it's not quote unquote right it'll be okay because like regardless there's a lesson to be learned there's like course correction that could be had you know just like really trusting that too yeah yeah so. I, I think that's part of what as i'm growing a, a deeper understanding of like ancestral reverence and practice and following the, those traditions is it is such a, a balance between the internal and like the whole of of all external, whether it's other people, it's community, it's the world, it's the universe. Um, a way I've heard the idea of ancestry explained uh, is that we are our ancestors, mm-hmm. right? So when when we're calling upon our ancestors, we're actually calling upon ourselves in a deeper way because we are the. I'm stealing this from somebody who I don't want to name because he he said some pretty homophobic things, but this was brilliant. Um, <laughs> He, he said um that was an excellent crediting without name yeah because i don't want i don't want to like be bogus and like just just steal it but i'm also not gonna not gonna yeah. uplift but he said you redacted your footnote <laughs> yeah <laughs> we are the the latest technological version of our ancestors right right and mm-hmm. so like if you think of it on a metaphysical level like epigenetics and genetic like our instincts are not some weird magical that is actually the coded information that our ancestors recorded and passed yeah. on and is not a metaphor it is literally physically in your body and so yeah, like what meditation does is actually tune out some of those sensory distractions and allows you to connect to the 10,000 generations you have within your body that are, are governing you your makeup your decisions your your interests your responses yeah that I'm resonates not, a lot yeah. and like as an extension to that something uh one of my spiritual advisors told me is that like not not only are you are your you are your ancestors but just you know i've I've mentioned my ancestor altar a a couple times Mm -hmm. like you are your ancestor altar and so like you wouldn't let somebody come in and just like throw shit all over your altar or just like treat it any type of way like you are the first offering like you 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 are that so worthy of reverence you you are worthy of reverence and also like when you are not treating yourself well when you're not keeping yourself up when you're not like you taking care of yourself yeah. like you're you're dishonoring your ancestors mm-hmm. right Whew. and so when you're not listening to like what your what your body is telling you that you need mm-hmm. when you're not listening to like you know wh- what what the universe is telling you that you need and what you need to shift you are dishonoring your ancestors yeah. and i was like damn that's powerful and okay. also really could Give be quite like guilt inducing <laughs> depending on how you feel about your it's like every time i have a bag of hot cheetos i'm <laughs> or like a like a cheeseburger i'm dishonoring my ancestors or your um ancestors like your descendants we are the ancestors of tomorrow so yeah. there's also like a responsibility of like we need to give the future generations something worthy of of revering right yeah. like like if we out here on bullshit then they got bullshit ancestors yeah. you know what i'm saying <laughs> yeah, nobody nobody wants to be a bullshit ancestor. nobody wants that you, we all got a few bullshit ancestors what, what i love about you sending us off <laughs> your Again, great your great great uncle willie man that, that nigga was <laughs> a wild boy that's a fact though that's real like yeah um, folks shouldn't be thinking yeah. about ancestors we, as like this the, this amorphous perfect, like yeah. perfect you know collective no, of like, like, some like, deep shit. We got some colonizers in our ancestry. Absolutely, you know? absolutely. I, I think about to that point, like the um, 
it's about like flipping these ideas of individualism and of like history, right? That those are the things of the past and that now we're in the present. Mm -hmm. But now, like you said, if we're the amalgam of all those people, we're in the old days, right? Like these are the days that took longer to get to all those things added up to this. And so like all of the people, if you go back 10 generations, I think I've said this before on the show, like from you, if you go back 10 generations, that's like a thousand people that had to match up. And, ha- yeah. and survive in order to lead to you. And so if you, you flip the family tree around, all of a sudden that's, you know, 20 generations, that's thousands and thousands and thousands of people. Yeah, it's a while um, to yeah. think about. Yeah, and what it does and that's is not it, even like their cousins and their friends that like stress them out. <laughs> you know, now, now they got a little marker on their DNA because somebody, you know, tried to steal their they partner or something, you know. <laughs> and what it does is it removes this idea of individualism, yeah. right? Yeah. And, and that's where I think it's useful. Like, that's why we talk about lineage so much up here because lineage can be so much more than just like your physical family, like ideologically, communally, artistically, like none of us are operating on our own. And we've been taught so much to operate as individuals and to make individual decisions and that everything is about like how we assert ourselves onto a world and what we leave behind and the splashes of paint that we throw. Mm -hmm. But we're adding to the tapestry. We're not starting from scratch, you know? So I, I have a question. So has having this like expanded consciousness and like intentional connection with like self and and other and also practicing with around certain traditions has that reshaped or or focused your political lens anyway? Because you are such a political person, and or <laughs> has it made you focus on other things? Right? Like, does it like make you think about the policy and the, the like institutional structures in a different way, or is it like now? you know, part of our liberation is I'm looking at a different part of the picture. I think it's a both and. Um, That's all good answers are. <laughs> I think it's a both and, yeah. Both and buttons coming soon. <laughs> I'm dead serious. Yeah, I mean, in terms of this expanding consciousness effect on how I think about things politically, uh, the particular topic of gender violence and, and state violence, which is like a lot of what I'm doing academically and like in movement space, a lot of what I'm, 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 I'm focused on and what drives me, you know, especially like as a survivor myself, I now feel in a much deeper way than I have before, like beyond my, my personal experience, the lineage that I am carrying in my, in my veins and my consciousness with regard to the different forms and types of violence that my ancestors, particularly the women in my lineage, have ha- have had to deal with, have had to take on the chin for the sake of, you know, holding the family together or for the sake of pacifying things. Or, you know, just, yeah, I, I, I'm much more aware of that than I, than I was before. Hmm. Um, how much of what what I know and ex- have experienced and what I know um, of of my peers and others in in this lifetime have experienced like is is not new but like we slash I have like a responsibility or a collective responsibility to shift as much as possible to the degree that we can shift in terms of culture shift in terms of policy shift in terms of just like yeah how how we practice ending the culture of like toxic masculinity or like an environment that like um normalizes and excuses different forms of violence um you know rape culture like all of that um which yeah it's not a new mandate but i just feel it in a different way Mm. like i 
it's just it's embodied, embodied in, me <laughs> in, in a different yeah. way as I'm like very much so aware of my legacy and our collective legacy and just like what what our folks have had to um, have had to hold and move through. Uh, so and it just makes the imperative new. much stronger. Yeah. 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 It's like if you could look at the present day and feel plenty of like um, there's plenty of examples to motivate that embodiment but then when you start connecting it ancestrally it's like oh this is a whole i i understand i hear what you're saying around like then it adds that extra um maybe responsibility is not the right word but like this extra push that, that yeah. you're saying it sounds like um almost like a i think you even asking like an ancestral responsibility but also connected to almost like an ancestral fatigue mm. of mm-hmm. like not only is it my environment and like societal, but it's personal, but it's also ninth generation or 15th generation or yeah. 30 of, right? So it's almost like a, how long are we going to take this shit? Yeah. Yeah. And like, I, I've been focused on, on healing a lot. Like the, the notion of healing, kind of like what you were saying earlier, um, Daniel, about imagining like the tree and like the, the, the thousands, you know, yeah. uh, before you. And if you invert it, the thousands ahead of you, like, I feel like healing is, is something that like, happens like in the in the here and now is a, is a process that you you go through um you know in this time and you know with the intentionality that you have with it it can it can be retroactive um mm. and like proactive like i want to do do healing for myself and on behalf of mm. my foremothers Ooh, first and yeah. foremost in my yeah. my forefathers and like my future generations our future generations right i feel like that that is the kind of the mandate the that mandate. i feel i love that idea of the shout out to mary work. hooks who, who yes who worded it so eloquently that idea of the healing that you do now not just like preparing for a future but also like healing the past mm-hmm. Oof. it's beautiful so i want to i want to see if there's over these last five years or so um some specific like lessons that you pulled out that like got you to this place. So it's, it's kind of, I, I want to be broad in it, um, but like where I'm coming from, from like my observation, because I started coming around the BYP space in 2014 and got like, you know, committed or invested in the chapter in 2015 during your co-chairship <laughs> and saw you rise to, you know, doing national public policy work and then as, as the co-director. And so just from where I sat, the room was like magically brilliant. Mm-hmm. right like it was overwhelming i had just come into consciousness and was able to articulate these things felt very isolated in the world and then like almost like magically or my ancestors let's say put me into a room where it was like active there was like experienced and there was there was a um a responsibility and i saw you in leadership there mm-hmm. um holding it down with such a um a consistency and a poise but also like an honest vulnerability like when it would be hard or when it would be difficult I could see it, but it was still with poise, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I admired you deeply, right? Like when it came to like, oh, we have this team or this league of like superhero black women. <laughs> it was not vague to me. Like I'm thinking of four to seven people and your name would always come up as a leader and as an example. And so as somebody who followed you in your position, I don't know if I ever told you this, I like didn't want to do it, right? When people were talking about like, oh, who's going to be next? I was like, <laughs> definitely not me. Like I'm not, for that because I did not see myself being able to like be functional and consistent and mm-hmm. as productive and just like as capable as as like the example that you led. You uh, think I wasn't reluctant going into that <laughs> and, and that's what everybody and that's what everybody said, right? And so and then also like, you know, some personal of like I think the skills that I bring 
with my gender position were also problematic in the space. So like, mm. I'm, you know, it's kind of fucked up to, to be who I am in a space that's like almost trying to contradict what that legacy has meant. And so dealing with that balance, but more than anything, I was just like the X's and O's of like day to day holding shit down. Like you are a high bar. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, no, we, we gas up here. Um, and so that's like how I know you, how I see you, how I revere and respect you. And then I've watched you ascend. And every time it was like another step, I was like, oh yeah, that makes sense. I was like, you know, we might have saw each other like you were about to be co- national co-directing. Like, I don't know. I'm like, nah, you got that shit. And like, yeah, I just want to hear some of the lessons through some of that trajectory um, because you you carried a lot, but mm. you did it with such grace. But I know that it was hard. Also, so. does the version that he just described ring true to you? Like, does that sound how you think of that time for you? Of course you? not. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just wanted to get that over. I'm like, boy, thanks. <laughs> Glad I came across that way. Um, didn't always feel that, but mm. lessons. One is that, you know, I, I've always felt like I have to do a lot because if I don't, then who's going to do it? <laughs> yeah. Which is like, mm-hmm. it's not true. I think people might say uh, a lot of things uh, without really like, I don't know, thinking about like what it truly means. Like, you know, this notion of like a leaderful model of how to organize and what like movement looks like. Uh, and like, I've really, really learned the value of that term and what that should look like throughout, mm. o- like over the past five to six years, and really kind of debunking the the myth that like I gotta do some shit mm. in order for it to be done. Mm. Like I've I've really learned. Oh that, yeah, and you were in school the whole time. That's what tripped yeah, me. Yeah, I don't know what it feels like to be in. To be in movement, like do movement work and not be a student. Because like I said, I moved to Chicago to start a graduate program at UC. And that was when I found movement. Like I I don't have a... a, Free time. (laughs) Yeah, no, I don't have free time. That's what I was going to say. I was going to say that like before before I moved to Chicago, before I found BYP 100 and like this iteration of like Black Liberation Movement, I didn't know what organizing was. I I wasn't like an activist. I didn't like grow up in that type of political space. And so like, yeah, it's always been full-time student, movement work. Like, and this tension that I often felt of like folks in this one space not really f- fully understanding or, or appreciating like what I'm doing in this other space. And, and, and I'm not saying that in a blanket way. Of course, there's exceptions to everything, but like my professors and like classmates didn't really n- understand, nor did they really give a fuck that I was right. like in a four hour strategy session yeah. the night before. And that's yeah. like, why my paper's late or whatever, yeah. right? <laughs> um, and vice versa, like, um, you know, some of my comrades not really like thinking about like yes I'm I'm here I got the agenda for our, our meeting set and all this and that and like I'm like dead smack dab in the middle of my finals right like you know mm-hmm. it just yeah but anyway um, I'm sorry to cut you off but like that was the part that like blew my mind yeah. about it because it's like I could I barely got through any school and I wasn't doing any of this and like I barely get through any of this and so watching. Watching you carry both of those. You weren't really, even the co-chair of you. Yeah. <laughs> watching you carry those really heavy plates was like, oh, this is yeah. this is like superpower shit that I'm watching. This is like the Justice League. Like, no pun intended. <laughs> That's, <laughs> funny. <laughs> That's funny. But yeah, no, I'm not, not even trying to, I'm not trying to like prop myself up as like 
oh, what I was mm-hmm. doing was impossible mm-hmm. or anything no, like that. No, will do that for yeah, you. Yeah, that's my job. I, <laughs> I give the gas. You, yeah. you tell the truth. I, I, <laughs> I'm just saying it was a difficult balance. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but because of my, like, I guess a combination of my, you know, perfectionism, a combination of my, like, lack of trust sometimes in hmm. trusting others to to move shit like like you yeah. know I, I had to work through a lot of that mm-hmm. um in order to really like appreciate the fact that there are so many dope people that i'm in community with who care about you know the Im- imperative of 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 liberation as broad as that may may be like all the specifics within that as much as uh, i do yeah. so i sh- i need to trust that like yeah, things are gonna get done and things are gonna move and and like I I'm in in struggle with other people for a reason. Like the the notion of of political home I think is one that uh, I've grown to understand in a way that I never had before because you know when you think about home, rarely do you think about it as like you know something that is is like a space that's occupied by one person. Like mm-hmm. right, it's your home is. Is is with other pieces with a community of people, whether your kin family mm-hmm. or your extended family, your chosen family, whatever um, movement family, and so so yeah, I've just like a huge lesson that I've learned is that I'm in a political home for a reason. I am in struggle with others for a reason, and I need to trust my comrades. I need to trust this notion of a, of a leaderful movement, a leaderful organization. Just like so, so that's one and cycles. Um, beginnings and endings and just changes are inevitable and shouldn't be treated as something to prevent like it's like transition is natural so like if you look at the Chicago chapter of BYP 100 for example like the 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 makeup of it the individuals that comprise it you'll see some people who were here five six years ago some people who are totally new, some people who have left, right? Like things change, right? And it and it's okay. The Chicago chapter BYP 100 is dope as fuck, right? Um, and yeah, it looks a, a lot different and has over the years. And yeah, was like, that difficult at one point? I think so because <laughs> the, the first some time uh, in the chapter, I I kind of felt like you know that like older relative of your family that's always talking about the good old days mm-hmm. back in, you know, whatever decade it was, mm-hmm. like, back in my day, things yeah. was da da da, da. Like, I found yeah. myself becoming that person in the room that, like... Or the college well. <laughs> student that revisits their high school, like, yeah. you know, when we were here, it was so much more fun. <laughs> you were becoming your third favorite aunt. <laughs> I was, like, <laughs> three years ago, we ain't do this, we yeah. did it like that. And, yeah. and uh, you know, just, like, I had to, like, check myself of, like, no, like, change is okay like it's it's one thing to kind of like offer um guidance ideas you know feedback whatever from a place of experience but that experience doesn't necessarily take precedent over or dictate what should be like you should you should always make space for new ideas new ways of doing things new people new structures just like a, a constant reinventing of what works and what what doesn't and strategy and et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, kind of being okay with change, with shedding, with, you know, like yeah, listening to, to what is, what is supposed to be um, in a, in a given moment and not like holding on to what was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The the quote that we always paraphrase somewhat correctly and somewhat 
incorrectly appears the the Grace Lee Boggs quote of like wear your ideologies and affiliations like a loose garment and let them fall when they become constricting hmm. and that if it's becoming constricting either because you can't let it go or because it's co-opted or outdated like you have to be able to let it go and and, and drop it like a wear it like a loose garment and let it fall so yeah. that that's what I'm hearing for you but that can be hard especially when it's something that you know you said personally was so valuable and so important in your personal politicization and just in your sense of home and you weren't home alone it's it's one thing to have it be like an abstract idea that you then disagree with mm-hmm. but it's another thing when it's like the place that you turn to for belonging being willing to let that yes. shift and move and, and trust that you'll still have a home there it's like your childhood bedroom getting turned into a computer room or something like <laughs> When your mama start like getting her groove back and like start, you mean when shit? my mom now has her artist studio yeah, yeah. in my childhood bedroom? Uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> shout out to moms and her painting. Uh, we'll see how this goes at Thanksgiving and where I sleep. That's <laughs> everybody. That's a different podcast. So, um, oh. oh yeah, I would, and I'll just say kind of the last lesson, and like all of these are related, but and this lesson is more recent, but that you know self sacrifice is not the wave. <laughs> mm, that's a bar. Yeah, um, I oftentimes have made decisions, done things or not done things uh, because I've been historically just like preoccupied and very concerned with how such a thing might affect someone else or uh, or other people, what the implications would be for, you know, X, Y, Z at the yeah, expense yeah. of what it would mean for me. Um Giving a care to other people's needs in a way that you're not to yourself. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Grounded in this idea of like, uh, I'm doing this for the greater good. Like I'm doing yeah, this yeah. in service of X, which like in and of itself is not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm not saying that those shouldn't be considerations or, or questions uh, to be considered, but it, it should not be at the expense of yourself yeah. um, and, and like what is what is good for you. Um, so this is not a blanket endorsement of being selfish but sometimes you have to you have to construct your future based on like you know d- devising a uh, a reality that is like sustainable and good for you yeah. and yeah that was a like hard lesson for me to learn or just like not intuitive mm-hmm. uh for me but yeah i've i've learned that like Ultimately, you end up doing a disservice to the the very things that like you were considering in the beginning when you when you make self sacrificial yeah. choices, and so that is really like the highlight for me. Yeah, I'm really trying to develop language for that of how do we center self without being selfish? Like, wh- where is yeah. what is the language that like asserts self? Because yeah, self centered doesn't have to be a negative yeah, thing. That yeah, is just yeah. an act of centering yourself. Like it I, doesn't mean I am a taking... singular, unique part of a whole, but this part needs to function. And if it doesn't, it actually affects the whole. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But like what, what that language is, is difficult. The language that I've come to on that, and it also like is typically used with negative connotation, but I don't think it has to be, is self-serving. Because mm. then you're in service to yourself the same way if you're serving your community, you're in service to your people or your family. Like. Mm-hmm. It's because it's not then about centering or taking. It's about like, I'm trying to serve my needs and meet my needs as an individual. And this is what I need in order, or not as an individual, as a piece of the whole. And this is what I need in order to do it. Yeah, I think meeting meeting needs to survive and develop. How how do you name it? Hmm. You said preservation earlier. Yeah, I would say self-preservation. Like I see it like, 
if you see a a fruit that has like a piece of mold on it, that, mm-hmm. would would you eat the fruit? Yeah. Or would you, would no. you feel comfortable just like cutting out that piece and then eating the fruit? Because I'm like. If it's mold on it, that means the whole shit is <laughs> it's done for. Like I need to throw that whole thing out, right? So if you farmer market Daniel has some, has has it. It depends on the fruit. Ooh. Oh, okay. So like a Brussels sprout, which goes on a stalk, if one of the sprouts is moldy or bad, you can or rotten, you can break that one off, and the rest are still fine. Um, but if it's something that's like part of like a tomato, I would recommend not not eating it. I agree with you on that. But if it's something where one of the parts of the whole is um, Rotten or softer or not good, but like an apple, you know. You know that's... No, a rotten apple. I would recommend not eating. However, there are in <laughs> bread as well. If you see bread anywhere, don't eat the rest of the bread because bread on, a mold on bread isn't always visible. By the time you can see it, it's spread pretty much throughout mm. the thing. But on cheese, you can just cut that piece off, keep right on eating Hell because no. all that cheese is Hell no. is moldy milk, basically. <laughs> like that's, blue cheese is just mold. That is the line where we defer. Well, you can tell me any science about it, or any history, <laughs> any little anthrop- yeah, whatever. I'm alive with you, uh, hell no. Nah. But like, and it, it, it does very, very much complicate <laughs> my analogy. But <laughs> <laughs> in service of the analogy, I'll let it go. But would you eat blue cheese? Nah, not really. Okay, then the line holds up. Not actively, because like, all blue cheese is is moldy cheese. Yeah, that's why I'm fucking. All with yogurt, ranch, all cottage all cheese, and yeah, sour yeah, cream, yeah. and all that shit is is just cultured. Yeah, yeah, Milk. yeah. I'm, I'm generally straight. If it comes my way, I'm not, you know, I can be an adult about it and like, mm-hmm. I'm at the party, mm, little blue cheese. But like, <laughs> I'm never going for it. But blue you're not cheese. a Gorgonzola. There's not head. a blue cheese purchase in my <laughs> bank account. That's not happening. <laughs> we could go back to the yeah, 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 yeah. We could do a receipts. full, a full audit. No blue cheese purchases. <laughs> What's your cheese game? Mm. Um, <laughs> Hard hitting journalism definitely does not include blue cheese. For okay. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm just a regular degler <laughs> American cheddar Swiss yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. pepper jack. Okay. Like yeah, when it comes to dipping wings, I'm definitely ranch over blue cheese. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, all day. You know, yeah. Um, I'm glad we got this on the record. I <laughs> yeah, felt yeah, like yeah. you were you were so open and vulnerable and I asked about your cheese game. You were like, well, ooh, hold on ooh, a second. <laughs> hold on. Backtrack. <laughs> That's like that old uh, Chappelle joke about asking white people where, who they vote for. <laughs> I missed that one. <laughs> this is like from like old yeah, two or some shit. This yeah. is like his first special um, yeah. before he got obsessed with transphobia. Um <laughs> <laughs> or was obsessed with it then but it just wasn't part of his material uh, but it was like I, well I don't know it was crude and crass so it would be sad weird me saying it but like a, a white man would like talk very vulgarly about like having sex with his wife at the like the office but it's like yeah but who'd you vote for it's like whoa Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to tell you about my wife here. You, you get, get a little right, too right. <laughs> So, and before we got on mic uh, to bring us back from from our ridiculousness, and I think you kind of explained the the, the like foundation or the basis of the fact that you like chose to transition out of your formal position, uh, which like required a lot of like public facing yeah. just shit, and was like wrapped in with your identity in the world, and that it was difficult but like you named it as a hurdle of like being on the other side of it and so mm-hmm. what does it feel like on the other side of now you you know you clean one of those plates and where, where, where are you at and how, do, how does it feel what's the day-to-day of processing mm-hmm. this other side of the hurdle yeah um post transition out of my co-directorship uh 
balance feels a lot uh, more feasible. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah, I have a lot more space, uh, for lack of a better word, in my day-to-day to actually focus on doing the the work of like my academic program and really yeah. like moving that along. Yeah, I just couldn't find the, the time in the day or the week or the month uh, <laughs> to think about the fact that like, oh yeah, I am still a PhD student. I, maybe I should... Think about that. <laughs> do something about that. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, I have been able to think about like, how can I really align the the work that is uh, my dissertation research and my my commitment to uh, BYP one hundred and like work that we're doing organizationally. There's really great alignment around uh, a kind of national. I probably shouldn't call it a campaign at this stage, but it's, it's building up to a campaign called She Safe, We Safe mm-hmm. um, that launched back in April of this year. She Safe, We Safe is a transformative movement campaign to end gender-based violence is a very big statement. But to, one, address the intersection of gender-based violence and state violence um, and really try to do the work of shifting culture and um, increasing alternative options for particularly black women, cis and trans and gender nonconforming folks um, to respond to gender violence in a way that does not uh, rely on contact with the police. And also think differently about just kind of building on this uh, kind of divest invest framework of like divesting from carceral systems, both like fiscally and morally yeah. um, and investing in uh, in what we collectively need to like survive and thrive within this within this kind of big mandate and commitment there's like several kind of strategies and ways of, of getting there so uh, what we are about to begin is what we're calling a story collection project wherein the experiences, and visions, ideas of Black folks actually informs the policy demands, informs the bold experiments, informs just like the the strategies hmm. of how we actually get to that world where culture is shifted, where um, our needs are invested in, where we have a multitude of of uh, options and ways to respond um, to gender violence. And so through this, this story collection project, um, we'll be doing what we're calling kitchen table conversations, which are basically like sort of like a red table talk that like uh-huh. Jada Pink has been doing on, on, on Facebook or just really like when you they think about some really cool shit. Yeah. There. Yeah. yeah. Or just like <laughs> shit, kind of like what we're doing right hey. now. Um, <laughs> wasn't going to say it, but yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like decentralized informal ways for uh for groups of people to really sit sit in the power of storytelling and collectively vision together um also be doing like surveys and like in-depth interviews to really one kind of create a collection of best practices so to speak of like shit people are already doing right, right? um rather than going like we have an empty page here let's come up with some strategies right. like no people are 
figuring out how to address yeah. harm and transform their relationships every day in their personal lives, communally. Yeah. How do we build from that and have that inform the policy, basically, is what you're saying, right? Exactly. So yeah. just, people are already doing, piloting different things. And, and we, we're we not the first to do this, right? We're, like mm-hmm. in a tra- tradition of radical black feminists and, and women of color feminists who've like been doing this work, like there's a toolkit that was created by... Uh, creative interventions um it's like a a a practical guide uh for responding to it like intervening in um interpersonal violence it's like a Mm -hmm. damn near 700 page (laughs) toolkit Mm -hmm. um so like this is definitely not not the first iteration of the of this type of work but you know that toolkit was published like over 15 years ago like damn near 20 years ago and like there's yeah i think always more to be more to be added there like, we're in a different like political context there's just like so much that we can build on and so and the harms have evolved also and there yeah. can be all kinds of harms that those tools aren't prepared to address too yeah precisely and so um the problem of uh what formed the basis of of the launch of she safe we safe and the foundation of of my dissertation research is very much the same um and so my uh, dissertation is tentatively titled, and I'm sure this will probably change a million times um, between now I'm a fan and when of a tentative I, title. <laughs> when I defended uh, what is tentatively titled uh, Reconceptualizing Safety, uh, Examining the Intersections of Gender-Based Violence and State Violence and Institutional Trust. Mm. Dissertation it, titles, that's like a short one. Dissertation titles get oh, I mean, so crazy Dissertation long. titles get really ridiculous. Because people get so specific, they're like, Exploring paintbrush patterns in 1600 Verona, Italy, between 1920 and 1914 in this restaurant. It's just like, you damn near wrote the whole dissertation in the title. In the title, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, that's whack, but I know I'm going to have to name something just tentatively titled. Mm, that's a cool title for something. Mm, I don't know. Like a, mm-hmm. An album, a t-shirt, tentatively titled, coming soon. I don't know what it coming is. Soon. But that's some, that's some like, fire. Uh, like, it's, like, tenet, it's coming soon, like the subtitle, like, <laughs> da, da, da. Colon, it's, <laughs> it's just like very tentative raps. <laughs> I don't know what to say here. And I can't wait till it's old. Like, yeah, if you go listen to my project from five years ago, tentatively, tentatively titled, titled, coming soon. <laughs> <laughs> All right, back to oh, back to the very important to confuse work. people, you say. <laughs> so the dissertation evolving kind of in concert with this, he said, uh, sorry. She, she safe, we she safe. She safe, we safe. Yeah. How are they uh, in conversation right now for you just internally and your thought processes? It's grounded in the fact that black women in particular um, are so no secret that, you know, we face violence in our intimate households, in our communities, um, at the hands of the state, Um, whether you're talking about, like, actual physical or sexual violence from state actors like police um, or harm through institutional policies and practices, Mm -hmm. like... Social service agency. Right. And when it comes comes to interpersonal violence, like intimate partner violence, domestic violence, sexual violence, there is an added risk or like cost benefit analysis for lack of better word um, that marginalized women uh, and and GNC folks have to consider when thinking about this kind of potentially catch-22 situation of you know I'm I'm experiencing this violence and so what do I do in response like if I call the police I very well may experience additional victimization Mm -hmm. whether that be physical, sexual, or like 
collateral kind of consequences of right. like if of I have if I have children, I risk like getting my children taken away. Or mm-hmm. if I'm undocumented, I risk potential deportation proceedings. If you know, if I'm a sex worker, I face potential arrest. If like right. you know, there's just, just these sl- the slew mm-hmm. of considerations that um, or invisibilized vulnerability. Yes, yeah. Um, yeah, that are at play. My dissertation brings in this kind of web of complications or, or, or considerations when thinking about like institutional betrayal, which is, you know, hmm. this notion of like when a trusted institution through its actions or inactions betrays you, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I mean, there's there's a lot of like anecdotal and empirical you know, evidence that like black folks generally don't fuck with the police, don't trust police, uh, right? But there's also, especially in like sociological literature, shows that like black women call the police for different reasons at higher rates than they're like anybody else white and you know Latinx counterparts, and like there, I'm sure that various various reasons mm. for that. But it's like this paradoxical question of like what are the conditions that might lead one to like betray their own instincts about trusting and relying on an institution that they know may further harm them right um and that's kind of the the paradox that sits at the the crux of my dissertation the research questions that i'm seeking to answer of like you know so like one what are the risk factors of like exposure to state violence how does exposure to an experience of different forms of state violence impact or influence one's conception of safety right um and like the the factors that empower or disempower one's sense of like safety related empowerment like what one feels like they can do mm-hmm. um when they are experiencing violence or amid violence like the choices you feel like you have. Yeah. Um, it's a question that I hope both helps like build an alternative conception to safety that does not include or rely on institutions, including but not limited to the police, um, that enact harm on on black women and really kind of underline empowerment in the sense that like there are these other options, other mechanisms through through community or other institutions, formations, whatever that we can rely on um, mm. that doesn't include, you know, police or t- to a great extent social workers mm. because a, a lot of what I talk about uh, in some of my fellow social work scholars may, may be at my neck for this, but like social workers can be problematic yeah, as yeah, yeah. fuck. Yeah. Wow, right? social worker beef here. Yeah, yeah. We got yeah. your back though. No, I mean, social workers ain't coming for you. You, 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 you top notch. You got you got people behind you. We, we, we no, ready for beef like, here. Seriously, like particularly when you think about like gender I love violence. Social workers, by the way. Social work. That was just for the joke. Yeah. Also, also love social workers, but like also got to be real about the fact that like you know, especially post the 1994 Violence Against Women Act, that like through federal funding, kind of married social work institutions and other social services with like law enforcement and other other carceral institutions through you know funding mandates and and other just like policy um implications wherein like you know a a shelter that you might go to or, or you know just dv advocates 
may like collaborate with the police in a in a way that is like not safe for people who have like whole different marginalized statuses. And it might be non consensual as well. Like yes. that's it doesn't center the, the consent Agency. of the per which is yeah. the whole point of the whole thing was that that person's consent was violated and they were harmed in different kinds of ways. Exactly. And then the institution that's supposed to exactly. step in. So a bunch of anti-agency agencies. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And so it's like, yeah, social work is like complicit in a lot of ways in this like... Took me a second to get what you did there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really love the plan words too. But uh, yeah, social work has been like complicit in, in many ways in the buildup of uh, like what Beth Ritchie calls like the, the prison nation. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And and yeah, I think that's really critical to examine and unpack in the in the context of, of social work because that's that's where I live. Um, and and really, like social social work be, has its roots in like grassroots community organizing. Yeah. Um, and just just gone like veered very far away from that. And I'm really trying to be critical of the of the field in that like we can't be blindly collaborating with with institutions and just like carceral logics that actually end up harming the very people that mm-hmm. are trying to like mm-hmm. be in, in helpful collaboration with. Yeah. Um, anyway, so my, yeah. So my like dissertation research is, is really like, like an empirical examination of like the ways in which state violence manifests, especially in the context of intimate partner violence and community violence and what that means for 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 black women's conceptions of safety and, and how they how they respond to it. And that's very much in line with like, you know, what BYP 100 is also trying to examine, but also more importantly, build yeah. um, as a result of like what we learned. Yeah. So yeah. I have two big questions left. Just hearing that also, now that we're like getting into the scholarship, I think it makes the first half of what we talked about, like the personal journey and the healing and the ancestral connection resonate more of like mm-hmm. you looking at all of this big mega data and like getting such a clear, crisp understanding of like the trauma almost on an empirical level. Just imagine that burden. So I'm glad to to hear that like you have some processes and some steps to, to work through that. Yeah. Um, but two questions. One, imagination. I want to tap into that from this work because uh, I feel like in the academy they make you do a lot of hypothesizing. Yes. <laughs> and I want to do some more imagining. Can and, I still use my hypothetical sound effect? <laughs> sure. Great. It'll uh, go in, right? <laughs> <laughs> so hypothetically, uh, what are you imagining in terms of new institutions that could or should be built on existing models or where you're seeing a void? Because, you know, something I am committed to is getting people to think about abolition in a deeper more nuanced way most people think of it as like one a single event and have like a lot of like war-based like revolt imagery and like view it as like an irresponsible you know just like thing that's going to happen and that's going to be super violent and chaotic but i see it more as a tangible process or praxis of rendering harmful and carceral institutions obsolete and -hmm. creating new institutional models that healthily meet needs and a firm life, right? And like that's an ongoing thing. Uh, and so this intersection of the contradictions and limitations of state structures and how they respond to violence and how women, particularly black women, are experiencing these multiple violent oppressions. Do you have any imagination of what institutions our communities need that do not yet exist or are not have full infrastructure or funding? Mm-hmm. Big question. Like who's who's going to be called? That's a great question. So one one thing that I think about is 
when it comes to witnessing, whether it's like seeing or overhearing violence or harm being enacted, many folks kind of fall in the space of like, I don't know what to do or that ain't my business. I'm going to keep it pushing or like somebody else hears this too and they're going to do something so I don't have to. And in all of those scenarios, like nothing is actually done. Mm -hmm. And so I imagine a multitude of networks where folks are and feel skilled to intervene, whether that be, I don't know, on ongoing like de-escalation trainings that are like super accessible to any and everyone who like wants to learn what and how to like prevent, interrupt and end violence that is happening. Like I imagine more even technology based like apps or whatever, or like a a wider accessibility of um, the notion of um, pods or like pod Mm -hmm. maps. If if folks have thought about that, Mm -hmm. like, 911 is the is a number probably the first phone number that most people have ever learned mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. it's three numbers and mm-hmm. you call it in case of an emergency right? right that's what we're taught but like if especially in in 2019 going into 2020 where it, like there's an app for everything mm-hmm. um how how can like you know something like that be scaled up to where on your phone or whatever like you have squad pre-programmed for yeah. like what, whatever whatever instance you're facing of like you know in an intimate part of violence situation I can call or notify this set of people in a situation of like whatever form of co- community violence or whatever form of whatever like this There's is the set more, of people yeah. that I can I can contact in a, in a very quick way like you know so I, I, I think about technological or infrastructural things like that skill based things like you know the escalation or just like other just ideas of how to how to intervene like i think about uh, a couple years ago and i was just like in in my house chilling you know on the on the west side i overheard a situation like a domestic situation you know with my downstairs neighbors um and i had this like oh shit moment of like what do i do like i know that's what I call the uh, the embodiment dilemma. Yes, <laughs> that's a, that's a great way to describe it. Ah, shit, um, I gotta actually test myself yeah. here. Yeah, like it was bad, and it was uh-huh. a situation where police wasn't an option. One because I just like <laughs> you're not gonna do it. Yeah, I just couldn't. Yeah. Um, and also, e- even if I wasn't an abolitionist and you know wasn't fuck twelve all day, like I also knew that dude was like on parole and there could like there's a lot there's a there was a lot of things at play so I was just like shit what, what the fuck can I do and I just like just thought of the the first thing that came to mind which was like I'm gonna go down there and like make up a reason for why I'm knocking on the door yeah. <laughs> and like let it float from there <laughs> so I like knock on the door and I'm like hey um my lights went out and I can't find the circuit breaker box in my unit like is it in your mm, unit that was smart um, <laughs> that was really clever and he's like i don't know maybe it is let me go check and i'm like peek in the door and like i make eye contact with the with the young woman who who was the receiver of of, of, of the harm and i'm just you know mouth like you good mm-hmm. like i'm gonna do something and she you know she she kind of sh- shrugged it off and you know basically kind of 
signal that that she was good but she mm. was grateful for this like interruption because right. i yeah. also kind of gave hit so so yeah. powerful how uh how nonverbal communication is yeah. but like when he came back it was like oh yeah circuit breaker's not in here i was like okay and i kind of like gave him this prolonged look of like i'm here you know why i'm down yeah. here right yeah, yeah and yeah he's i don't know he kind of like dropped his eyes and you know right and we just kind of had a moment yeah. of like yeah. A lot was said in yeah. in the words Human that was not was said. So, so deep, and yeah. obviously that's not like the structural everything, but like that is a moment where you used other tools, tools that you had inherently, your brain, your eyes, your physical self, to like disrupt a pattern there. Yeah, you know? yeah. So just like I mean, that's just like one right. instance of an anecdotal situation. So like imagine, but like what happens if you could get like institutional credit for that? Like what happens if like hey, I just re- de-escalated a neighbor and now like let me get a tax break or something <laughs> <laughs> that's something I hadn't even thought about I was more so thinking like what if this type of exchange was like multiplied to right. where like if if you told me a, a, a similar or different story like I now have like your experience mm-hmm. that I could maybe apply in a future right, situation right, and like right, we're right. building this like yeah, collective knowledge about different ways to like intervene and so yeah that's one thing I think about and then something else I know like when folks are in abusive relationships there are a, a, a lot of different barriers and factors and considerations uh you know to be weighed when thinking about or, or trying to leave i like I, I hate the the question of uh of folks that say oh like why, why don't you just leave in an mm-hmm. abusive like there's so many things to think about and one one is like very economic like some folks are right. um, like economically dependent mm-hmm. on on an abuser or just like can't yeah, sustain themselves in, in a different ways. Crisis, yeah, so like finding um, a new home and a jobs crisis <laughs> and a crisis crisis. Yeah. So what could it look like if even five percent of like the current Chicago police budget was like instead in this community fund for survivors that can like access it, no strings attached, no like all this all these documents mm. that you have to provide to prove that you're in the situation that you need the help. Like, what if we had a fund that was like for that purpose to tap into to like make sure you're good um, to like leave a situation. And it covers your like security deposit or moving fees. Yeah. Exactly. Like exactly. Yeah. So yeah. that's like something infrastructural or like structural that, you know, I, I, I think could be could be cool. I mean, this, the imagination is, you know, often often very, very hard to to flex because yeah. you know thinking about something that doesn't already exist isn't isn't always easy but it's my hope and goal that like if we if we all challenge ourselves to think to like ask the question that y'all just mm-hmm. posed to me mm-hmm. that we we really have a lot to work with yeah. and like our, our demands and mandates are like super clear yeah. i know? think those are really like good like entry points so like what i'm hearing is like interpersonal formal de-escalation trainings mm-hmm. 811, let's say, <laughs> is like a not different number that means different th- different people come. Mm-hmm. Um, and then some sort of like communal resource pooling on a like institutional level where that funding is used to provide in moments of crisis and need uh, the ability for people to more easily detach from a harmful environment. Mm-hmm. All seem pretty doable no, that's, to me. That's like, what's going on on eight one one right now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's 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 beef that up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm buying eight one one. All right, <laughs> uh, we're running long, but my my spirit is pulling me to ask this question. If it's, if it goes, we hadn't weird. talked about all that spirit shit. <laughs> I would have been like, no, we're out of here. If it, if it goes weird, because like I'm trying to figure out how to ask it carefully, uh, we can like edit it out or like 
we, 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 I just want to give this a shot. And I'm trying to figure out how to give context. So I, I want to look internally at this intersection of gender violence within space of people who agree that black people need to be liberated from mm. state violence, right? Like, I think that there's a divide. I think there's just like the general community or the general black community, if we want to call it that, as an abstraction. Uh, and then there's like a specific liberation movement community that has different branches and different offshoots. Uh, everybody's not active. Some people are just Twitter folks, but like, you know, kind of flatly woke folks in general. Something I am also trying to be committed to is explaining not only for like the human moral reason of like why we need to be concerned with black women, but also just politically. Um, I have observed and studied that cis patriarchy is probably the number one disruptor for our internal collective ability to organize for our liberation. And I think there is like a, 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 a if we don't dev- advocate for devils or like try to have like toxic straw man arguments to speak against, but there is a like, oh, that's a distraction or that's secondary. We need to talk about what's happening to black people. Um, and then there's a way that gender violence is erased in how we organize. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm careful in asking the question because it's, it's, it's personal to us. Like within our communities, either our political homes or our community at large, there is this contradiction of liberation around the idea of blackness, but comfort or perpetuation of this violence that, that black women and femmes and gender nonconforming experience. So is there a, a different sentiment or feeling or response needed within our home um, because I think that has been the last 50 years, last 500 years, the last five years, a repetitive contradiction that is a struggle for us to, to figure out and answer. Yeah, I mean, it's that is an important kind of tension mm-hmm. to yeah. to pull out. And I, I don't I don't think it that is absent in kind of like what what I've been talking about, especially in, in this whole like idea of shifting culture, mm-hmm. because that like heteropatriarchy or like really patriarchal violence maybe a, a way to to phrase it um is is really embedded <laughs> in so many aspects of just like our family structure the way that we like um interact and respond to each other the jokes that are cracked at, you know in the barbershop just like just mm-hmm. just like life mm-hmm. um uh, or just like yeah the the reason why Folks in our family may feel uncomfortable calling out the problematic uncle at the cookout. Like, you know, there's just, yes. So it is very, very difficult to bring that that issue that you just named, that tension that you named as like like front and center. Because uh, I think for a lot of folks, especially for for survivors, it's there's this notion of feeling like you have to suffer in silence or that you know I don't want to say code of silence because it just makes me think about police (laughs) (laughs) Um, but behind you know the idea of having like kitchen table conversations and you know things like that is is to kind of open a space of of like vulnerability and honesty and kind of like break through the taboo of like gendered violence isn't like this this abstract thing that happens outside of like our our most intimate spaces with people that mm-hmm. we love, mm-hmm. like it, oftentimes that that's the first place that it yeah, happens. Have the conversation in the um, space where the harm is happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, know? yeah, and I mean that's a hard pill to swallow, but like that that's where we have to start. And 
yeah, it's it, it makes my head and heart hurt just thinking about, mm-hmm. um, yeah, how hard those conversations are and can be. But like, it's kind of a not kind of it is like a necessary precursor to liberation. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's there's no way that that we can be free from violence in all of its its iterations and dimensions without addressing what is like closest to like the name of the book like the revolution starts at home like that yeah. that book title kind of precisely sums up that idea but it's de- it's definitely not an not an easy thing to work through um it requires a lot of i think trial and error and grace and patience and being okay with failing and hurt feelings before you can like get to the point of where you need to be but ugh, yeah. yeah it's a big yeah. big question to tackle yes thank you for for giving it giving me a shot and bringing that yeah so can we check out first yeah 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 yeah. so just just coming out of that one obviously not our our cheeriest conversation (laughs) but like i was watching the breaths that you were taking while you were talking about that and i could like feel them in connection to what we opened the conversation with some of this grounding some of the somatic work of like watching the way that you got through thinking about that was by like letting the air come from parts of your body that weren't where the ideas were coming from, right? Like mm-hmm. there was one moment where you just like, <sighs> like I, I, I heard that. I don't know. It was moving because it was like a case study of the importance of the shit that we started the episode talking about. Mm-hmm. It's like we need, you know, and when we talk about it starting at home, at home meaning the like collective home that you were talking about finding, but then also the home like within our own bodies too. That is what embodied practice is, right? Is that in order to have the conversation, we have to be able to breathe through it. Mm-hmm. Value. I think I uh, really appreciated this conversation. I really appreciate um, knowing you. And I have. A, uh, I think you bring a lot of value to the world. And so your work politically and also intellectually uh, is really, really important. And so I'm thinking of someone listening to this conversation who may not even be like, oh, I want to be like a frontline organizer, put together the meeting, but are interested uh, in the liberation of black people and are starting to feel some of the weight and the responsibility that comes with it. And you, um, as a young but like experienced example, I think you offer so much value of like how to carry yourself, how to process. And I think what you focus on is needed and under-researched. So, mm-hmm. you know, over the last five years getting to know you, you always, like, are at the heart of, like, you at Capitol Hill somewhere, you putting <laughs> together this policy document, or you're, you know, on some panel or putting together a national program slash campaign, and it all has value that I think uh, will extend past our lifetime. And so mm-hmm. I, I just, I, I value you and value what you bring to, to our world. Thank you. I feel like this... Uh this dialogue, this conversation that we've had today has been like very therapeutic um, in a way that I didn't expect. <laughs> like, wow, I feel good right now. Um, <laughs> yeah, so so I am very much uh, in appreciation of. What did you um, think was going to happen? I don't. I don't know. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, but I'm 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 here for you know that my expectation, whatever expectation I came in here with, which I can't really define, it was not the case. Yeah, thanks for being open to <laughs> it. Yeah, we yeah. appreciate you. Here's something that you probably didn't anticipate coming in, which we're is our do game it. that we're going to end with. So, this is the treat. This is the little dessert on the end. Okay. So, accountability, right? Mm-hmm. New methods of accountability. And we jokingly, but very seriously, use beef as an accountability tool here at Ergo. 
Ergo Radio, soon to be Ergo Media. Mm. The 20th century ran a fucking muck. And so we're allowing <laughs> our guests, our friends, to start beef with the 20th century. Any person, figure, event, trajectory, culture moment. Idea. Personal experience. Okay. Beef it's all supposed 20. to start beef, yeah. beef um, okay. with an element or a factor of the 20th, 20th century. century. Janae, go. Wait, just for clarity, yeah. 20th century ended in 1999. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes, <laughs> just wanted right. to make sure I got my right. Okay. It was a wild fucking century. What we say is, if the 21st century continues to be like the 20th, we might not have a 22nd. Ah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. Thank you for clarifying your centuries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, just... <laughs> that shit gets confusing. Yeah, 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 really no, put no, myself so I don't want to embarrass myself. <laughs> <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> so pay toast. No. <laughs> wow, so much to choose from. I want to start beef with Bill Clinton. Great. Mm. Great. Um, I love it. Yeah. I, so I, I was going to start beef with a specific policy um, or a like, piece of legislation. But I, yeah, every every legislation that I thought about is like tied back to Bill Clinton. So I'm thinking about like the 1994 crime bill. Mm. I'm thinking about like 1996 welfare reform, yeah. 1996 like immigration act, like all of these. Tell like communication acts. Yes. I want to like, say Glass-Steagall maybe. Sweeping legislation that like you know, was was presented or framed in this guise of like, this is for the the well-being of, you know, all these people. And it really just like <laughs> was so fucking harmful. Yeah. Um, like thinking the, about the But 90- I got a saxophone. Right. <laughs> right. And like every time Shit, folks saxophone him, like the first black president, I'm like. <laughs> saxophone could be harmful. <laughs> <laughs> People have got a lot of bullshit off. Saxophone can heal. It can also harm. It's just a tool. It's just a tool. It's just I've, a tool. I've, I've been hurt by some saxophone before. <laughs> That's hilarious. I actually That's used to a... play the saxophone, so I can't like actually and you join in this. You might have healed, but... <laughs> or you might have. We've all. No one is. That's you're Bill hilarious. Clinton is perfect. But yeah, I yeah. I, I, I want to be for Bill Clinton just because like he presented himself yeah. as like this ally friend mm-hmm. of black people when mm-hmm. he did so many things that actually harmed black folks as like an entire yeah. community yeah. like in just so many ways and just like fuck him you know i got i got beef for him yeah, and yeah. everything that he stood for his whole administration period and he's just out here still running a just, just out here clinton still yeah, yeah. he's, 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 he's a not done that was great all right wow excellent Excellent 20th century piece. Yes. Just thank you. Mm, thank you. On the money. Beautiful. Absolutely. <laughs> thank you so much for being here <laughs> and chopping up with you. us. Is there uh, anything you want people to know about? How can folks find you in the ways you want to be found? Yeah. Um, if you want to be found. <laughs> sure. I mean, I'm, you know, really intermittent in my uh, internet activity or social media True. activity, but like you can go to janaebonsu.com, J N A E B O N S U, and like all my, my Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Links are on there. I uh, also just shoot me an email if yeah. for one, <laughs> you know, one reason or another you want to do that. Um, that's bonsujanae at gmail.com. Oh, you flipped yeah. it on <laughs> For that. some reason, janae bonsu at gmail.com was taken. And I'm like, right. how? Who has my name? <laughs> yeah. So, we whatever. There's one way to find out <laughs> yeah. send an email. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> no, I never thought about that. I think uh-huh. I'm gonna do that. That's uh-huh. Like, who are you? Yeah, let's talk. <laughs> yeah. I'm at Ergo Kiss. I'm at Damon underscore AF. We're at Ergo Radio, and Black Youth Project is at blackyouthproject.com. We'll be back next week with another person reshaping the culture of our city for the more equitable and creative. Much love to the people. Peace. 
This episode of Ergo is sponsored by Backblaze. Get unlimited computer backup for Macs or PCs for just six bucks a month. Backup your docs, music, photos, videos, drawing, podcasts, projects, all your data. Restore your files anywhere you have internet, and even if you're off the grid, they can overnight you a hard drive with your backup on it. Over 40 billion files restored. The emphasis is theirs in the copy, but I still think it's kind of crazy. Get yourself a free, fully featured trial at backblaze.com slash cpc. Make sure you visit it at cpc so they know where you came from and continue to support the show. Start today.